Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my off-season fishing partners. First up, writer for the King's Herald and a podcast with himself, that's Tony Zipteris. Tony, happy off-season, sir. Happy off-season, Will and Jerry. Um, I've returned from a, a three-day stay in the woods, so I've been a little bit out of the loop regarding you know the last few games of, of Kings basketball, but I'm ready to talk on this podcast and fire off hot takes as if I watched all those games. Um, but more importantly, excited to talk about where the Kings go from here with you guys after another disappointing season of basketball in Sacramento. We are very happy to have you out of the woods and back in the world. He's a, uh, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, an Indiana basketball hall of famer, and the true pride of French league himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here in front of me. How's it going today, Jerry? Well, very good. You know, obviously, I know we got a lot to talk about. Looking forward to it. You just can't uh, talk enough about basketball, can you? <laughs> we, we could talk enough about Kings basketball. At some point, we could just cut that off and we could just join our own little podcast. For that would be very true right there. Yes. <laughs> we'll have a spinoff show one of these days where we just talk NBA basketball. So let's uh, let's get into it. The, the Kings season is it's over. We, uh, we have uh, made our way across the desert and we have found water on the other side. Uh, the Kings have finished with a record of uh, 31 and 41. They're in a tie right now with New Orleans and Chicago pending a coin flip for the eighth, ninth, or 10th um, um, draft lottery odds. And, um, and here, here we sit. The, the Kings are now 15 seasons without a, a, a playoff appearance. They're now many more seasons without a, a number one pick. Um, so, so, so I want to I get your guys a season overview first. Um, mostly, mostly in thinking back to the beginning of the season, do you guys think that the Kings overachieved, underachieved, or this season was about as expected to go? Boy, yeah, uh, I, I, I really, honestly, feel like the team underachieved. I mean, you know, I, I understand everybody had different goals, but I mean, when you basically don't do any better or do worse than you did the previous year, uh, and you do get a, a really good pick in the lot in the draft, which the Kings did. Uh, I don't see how you can, uh, you know, slice it any other way. And, and, you know, I mean, Fox had a, a remarkable uh, season, but, but at some point you look at the standings and the standings tell you, you know, that's the analytics that really counts. The one loss column. Sure. Tony, what do you think? I would agree with Jerry in that. I, I do think the team, underachieved um, based on their talent level only because you see some teams above them in the standings that, that I don't think are, you know, considerably more talented than the Kings. But I think the real underachievement came in uh, and this is not, maybe it's not the, the exact question you asked, Will, but I think the underachievement came in um, how the, the roster was built this year and sort of what the Kings did or didn't do during the season to sort of pick a direction. And then you could, you know, you could say that this is a successful season because the Kings had a goal and a direction and it played out the way they wanted it to. Um, in this instance, I think the, the underachievement comes in where it's like, I feel like they're, they've been a little bit stuck in the mud all year. Like I'm not sure they've made any improvements in one direction or the other versus where they were at the end of last season. 
So I think it's an underachievement in the sense that there hasn't been much progression from year to year. If anything, you know, you, you drafted Tyrese Halliburton, which is great, but they were always going to draft somebody. The biggest thing that happened from the end of last season is they lost Bogdan Bogdanovich. Underachievement for the roster they had, it, you could go either way, but I think they did underachieve as an organization from year to year in terms of making improvements in one direction or the other. Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting uh, point that you brought up about uh, about Bogey not being on the roster anymore. If I had started the beginning of the season and said the Kings aren't going to have Bogdan Bogdanovich next year, uh, and they're still going to end up with the same record, uh, removing everything else, would people have thought, oh, okay, well that's a, that's a success. Whoever the Kings got as a rookie's obviously overperformed, or Buddy's had a monstrous season, or Fox took another step. Um, but but it is one of those things that the Kings also still had the same record as they did last year. Um, with another year of improvement from Fox, uh, it, it's something to me where I can I can hear arguments from both sides. I know some people like to uh, to point out that this is still in a pandemic, that we still have a, a brand new general manager in the first year. Uh, th- there are there are ways to to pull this out where okay, I guess you could say they overachieved, but I, I'm with you guys in this that I I, I truly truly think that. If you if you go back before the season and tell me we have the same amount of wins as last year, uh, I would probably I would probably say that uh, at most this was as expected, if not the Kings underachieved here. Yeah, and and, and don't you think I mean just to add to that I mean I think we had every reason to expect that Fox would make a major step. I mean for God's sake, if you just sign him to a max deal, why wouldn't you expect that? Uh, you know, and uh, the, the fact that uh, I mean, I still think you know, losing bogey was a mistake. I don't care what anybody says, that's a mistake. A guy's a really good player, as we're seeing in, a, in Atlanta. The reason it didn't impact the Kings more than it did was Tyrese Halliburton. He was so, so much better than we had a right to expect that he he basically played you know pretty much like bogey would play. Although, having said that, I think bogey is still better today than Tyrese Halliburton is today but uh you know you, but anyway so this but i think they you know like say you know if you got a max guy and you got a but like say the halliburton thing really was was the the real bonus that, that he jumped out there and i mean and not to say you know holmes and barnes had better years than you probably thought they'd have but still it was Halley. i think that allowed them to be close to where they were last year which is again as uh, Tony rightly pointed out, it's like, well, it, it, you know, year to year, you're supposed to get better. Now, that's how you that's how you get to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, or, or or you get or you get worse on purpose. Or you get worse. Or yeah. you get uh, the will the will plan get way yeah. worse and uh, and and get way lucky. You know both. Yeah. Uh, yes. you yeah. Know. But if you do nothing, it's kind of like you're you're running on a treadmill. And the underachievement mm-hmm. argument is is an interesting one because like the final record might not be horrible. But if you look at the context of how they got there, you know, you shouldn't lose nine games in a row once. You lose nine games in a row twice. I mean, there's certainly some underachievement. I don't know how you can argue that, that you underachieved at least for these certain stretches where you lose nine games in a row two times. I mean, no team should do that, especially one with some talent like the Kings. This isn't like the Detroit Pistons or something. They can lose, you know, 20 games in a row. Who cares? But this is a team, like Jerry said, with a a legit max player and some other high-paid veterans that team underachieving, you know, a nine game losing streak is an underachievement any way you slice it to me. Well, and, and, you know, I, I guess I'm 
you know, the other thing, and I've probably beaten it to death here, but, you know, I looked at the standings from a year ago and you had teams like the Hawks won 20 games, Knicks won 20 games. Look at where they are now. Yeah. Uh, the Suns basically had the best, same record or worse going into the uh, bubble. Uh, look at them. Uh, the Washington Wizards even uh, were way below, and, and they, even though they weren't great, they finished up well above the Kings. And, uh, you know, so at some point you got to say, wait a minute, you know, especially like the, the Hawks and the, uh, the Knicks, uh, you know, it's like, of course, the Suns would be the same thing. I mean, they were good in, in the bubble, but they hadn't been until then, but here to have a, a second best record in the league. Uh, so you can improve year to year and how do you do it? And that's what we'll get into. And I, and I will say in every instance of the lottery had nothing to do with any of those teams uh, yeah. getting better. Not one thing. Jerry, I was absolutely going to point that out. You were leading me down that road here that, that the Hawks and the Knicks and, and uh, the third team that you named. Phoenix. Phoenix. The Suns and Phoenix. Yeah. They did it without their draft picks. The Knicks got a, a, a Obi Toppin who, who did almost nothing this nothing. year. Onyeka and Konkwu didn't really do much this season. And so they, they, they did it by either acquiring free agents in, in, and trades in trades or, or, or getting a new coach in, 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 in sense of the next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm interrupting, no, but no, I mean, right. that's it. I just, it, it's, it's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's getting uh, free agents, trades, coaching changes. So those are the things. I mean, if you really want to win ball games, it's always been about veterans. Absolutely. Always. <laughs> and, and I mean, now they don't have to be 40 year old veterans, but I mean, you look at, uh, you know, Phoenix, I mean, what did they do? Well, they had a great coach. We knew before Monty Williams, he made them significantly better last year, even though it wasn't to the level it has, but what, what did they really do? They got Chris Paul. That's what they did. Uh, you know, and Chris Paul did what Chris Paul does everywhere he goes. He makes them 10 or 15 games better. That's, that's what he does. And that's why he should be a strong MVP candidate. Tell me, I, I want to get your opinion, and then I'm going to get Jerry's on this. Um, obviously, it's been reported widely that um, that this is supposed to be a gap year, that this was supposed to be a year for analysis and 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 breaking things down. If you if you come at this of the context that Monty McNair's had a whole season to see his roster, that he didn't trade Harrison Barnes or Buddy Heald at the deadline, uh, not knowing what those deals are, of course. But, but he's had a whole season to evaluate his coach, his star player, his um, high-paid role players, his rookie. Do you, do you see any context here to, um, that, that Monty McNair could consider the season a success from that? And, and do you even subscribe to the year that this could be seen as a gap year because of those failure to make moves or that uh, conscious decision not to make any of those moves? I don't know. I mean, Jerry, honestly, Jerry probably has a more educated uh, take on this, but from my perspective, like Monty McNair shouldn't need an entire year to evaluate the roster. He's been an executive in the NBA for a very long time under a very active franchise with the Rockets who are always, you know, talking trade scenarios, evaluating players. It's a very busy, educated, analytic driven. They got all these models, you know, organization. This is not a, you know, an outsider who hasn't been in the league coming in, he's got to get his feet wet. This is Monty McNair. You know, he's been in the mix for a very long time. I don't think you just give that guy a pass for the entire year of evaluation. And I will say, I don't want to be too harsh on Monty McNair, but you look at, you know, you know, losing Bogdanovich is one thing. Um, But something that I know we've talked about on this podcast before, and I don't want to put too much stock into it. 
but also like losing Alex Len and then replacing him with Hassan Whiteside or then having to sign these minimum, you know, free agent centers. And, and Jones has been good. Um, but those, those kinds of, uh, I guess you would call them mistakes. Um, I, I think, Will, you're right in that Monty McNair is probably selling this as sort of an evaluation year and selling that to ownership. But I don't know if he uh, deserves that break or deserves that concession. I mean, he he should be ready to go immediately. At least that's my opinion. Like, I think Sacramento, and I've been kind of thinking about this a lot. You know, we're, we don't expect a lot here. And it's a little bit unfortunate. I don't know if that's part of the problem, but I think it's fair to expect a little bit more from the guys who are in leadership positions or who are, you know, taking control of the team. And I don't think McNair has done a horrible job. I think Tyrese Halbert was obviously a great pick and they've made like DeLon Wright. They've made some good little moves along the way. But I don't think it's, uh, at least for me, okay to just give him a, a free pass on the year and say, hey, he was evaluating this whole time. I don't necessarily buy that either. Um, it's probably somewhere in the middle for me. Jerry, do you subscribe uh, that this was a gap year that Monty McNair had planned out an entire year just to uh, just to evaluate? And, and as a former general manager in two different professional leagues, would you be able to get a year from an ownership group even to just say, let's just sit back and see how everything goes? Generally speaking, no, I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I understand why you'd say it's a gap year because it's always a good, good kind of a cop out, really. I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're, you're, yeah. you're doing. But but uh, uh, I agree with Tony's point in the sense that uh, uh, a, a GM like uh, Monik certainly has been involved with Daryl Moore in Houston for years. So so certainly he's aware of the Kings players. If he's not, he's not paying attention. You know, you know, the players in the league or have a, somewhat of an opinion of them before you come in. And now was he probably surprised some better than he thought some not as good as he thought all oh, that's true, but it probably doesn't take you all season. Now, having said that uh, until we know and we, which we can't, what deals were available or not available type thing. Uh, it's hard to evaluate anything that did or did not happen at trade deadline. I, I'd say that what we do know, is his draft was excellent, but I mean, it obviously he couldn't have got Tyrese if Tyrese had been taken fifth or sixth, like he should have, but, but uh, he did take him. So you've got to give credit there. And I think as Tony pointed out too, the small deals, you know, he called them kind of value deals are probably, uh, probably good. Uh, I have no problem. I don't think it's one of those things where Hark, Hark plus Davis and Wright. I think they're all NBA players and, and all, and, and probably you you wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine wanting all three back on your roster next year. I mean, I think at some point, you know, you don't, you know, you probably have to. But they were all they were all nice pickups. They made the team better. They give you more options uh, with Davis and Wright. They give you options. Uh, for Buddy, if in fact you you need one, uh, you know I thought the pickup of Jones was was really a nice nice pickup. You know, I mean you you can see why he's bounced around. You can also see why he might could stick as a backup kind of center. So uh, is it a gap map dap? At the end of it, I mean it's it's a case where uh, it just means that this summer is tremendously important to money and the team. That's all. I mean, it, uh, things that were or weren't done at the, at the break, uh, we don't know why, why or, but things have to happen this summer. They just have to.
I think that there's just been a putting off a little bit that this is for, for most intents and purposes, this is still a Vladi Divac team that, that, that this is Vladi's team with a couple of little pieces thrown in from Monty that this is, this is still Vladi's coach. This is still, you know, obviously the superstar that, that, that Vladi drafted in De'Aaron Fox, you just sprinkle in a Tyrese Halliburton, get rid of a Bogdanovich, but it, it feels a bit like uh, that Johnny Cash song, One Piece at a Time, where this is a 49-50-51-52 like, automobile. That, that it's just these tiny little pieces being put in one at a time. And I think the biggest move this summer for, for Monty is to, uh, I guess, impress his will upon the team. Because right now he hasn't done anything of any sort of um, long-lasting, um, any sort of long, long-lasting effect to make this anything that's a Monty McNair team. I mean, picking up Jamezi Metu in the offseason is not a is not a a, a, a savvy move past the okay. And back to Tony's uh, saying that that Sacramento Kings fans should expect more because this is this is Vladi's team for the most part outside of Tyrese Halberton and a little sprinkles of something else. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And too, you know, on the on the positive side, and you know, I've certainly been negative enough here about a lot of things, but but it goes back to what we talked about just earlier. Uh, you know, the Knicks and uh, the Suns and the, the Warriors. I mean, I mean, the teams that were worse than the Kings, the Hawks, and how much better they got. Well, it just shows you, yeah, you can do that. And, and often it's just one piece or two, sure. probably a couple of pieces, a player, coach. I mean, it can be, a comp, but, but it, 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 and I think the Kings, there's no reason that couldn't be the Kings. Sure. Uh, I mean, in other words, there's definitely some really good talent here, but but not enough and not enough that fits the way it needs to. And maybe the motivation and all that hasn't worked. But I mean, you know, I always go back, like I say, just to the Knicks. I mean, a 20 win team forever. Right. And uh, and and Randall was a guy anybody could have had. Right. In the last three or four years. And now he's one of the elite players in the league. Now, what changed? Well, he did. Well, uh, was Tibbs responsible for that? Certainly to some degree, Randall, probably more, sure. but it happened and it happened, you know, it, it happened. That's the point. And getting back, Jerry, to your idea of the second draft, I don't think Julius Randall becomes the Julius Randall that he is today. If he's still on the Lakers that he needed to no. see two, two years, $18 million and realize he's, he's this close from, from being out of the league or this close from being a bench guy. And he worked on his game to the point where he's an incredible shooter now, especially with people on him. He's, you know, he's averaging, you know, 20, 24, 10 and, and five or six assists. I mean, he's a, he's an all NBA guy this year. And I, I, I think, I, I think back to this every time I see him play now about you saying that, well, he needed to go to a different team. He needed somebody else to let him know who he needs to be as a player. Yeah, I, th- I think that is so often the case with just about every player. Like I say, there's just so few that are so good, so special that they can, uh, you know, they, they they do have their best years with the team that drafted them. I mean, you go back to the two best players in Sacramento Kings history, Chris Weber and, and Mitch Richmond. Well, they did start with the sure. Kings. And there's a reason they were available uh, for different reasons, but they were available. Sure. And, and, uh, you know, so so I think I just proved I mean, yeah, there's there's not a lot of Michael Jordans and and uh, and birds and Jabars and, and LeBron James and LeBron obviously uh, 
course, he picked his <laughs> changes <laughs> and, and Durant's and all that. But yeah. but I mean, you know, Steph Curry, he's been a one team guy. And and I mean, but and he even took a little while uh, yeah. to develop. In fact, is I, I know for a fact they would have traded him over Monte Ellis if Milwaukee had had uh, wanted to make that move. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they <laughs> sometimes the smartest things you do are the ones you don't do. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, so. So anyway, it just to your point, I mean, it, 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 for most players, it takes a while and patience. And, and I mean, that's, you know, patience is a virtue. And it's also true that some players, you know, just simply need to be traded for their own good. And honestly, I, I think Marvin Bagley fits that mode at this point. I think the guy could be really good but I don't know that it's ever going to be in Sacramento. I was just going to mention that I think we jinxed Mar jinxed the Sacramento Kings and that Marvin Bagley is going to be the next Julius Randle now. Now that we've mentioned it, that <laughs> could be. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So let's uh let's roll a little bit over into looking into the offseason. Obviously, we'd like the Kings to be next year's Phoenix Suns or next year's New York Knicks, but there are some things that need to happen and a, a couple of different paths that the Kings can take in order to get there. So I wanted to get your opinion on um, either one of you guys can start on this, but what do the Kings absolutely need to do in order to make the next step? We've got Luke Walton as a coaching decision. We've got re-signing Rashawn Holmes. We've got um, Buddy Heald's contract and whether or not that needs to be moved. What, what's, what's the path for you guys uh, in order to get the Kings into a position where next year they are not fighting for the play-in, but rather comfortably sitting in a, play, a lower, you know, lower than five playoff seed? I'll let Tony go first on this and so I can second guess him. <laughs> uh, that's a tough one because I think looking at um, Atlanta, Phoenix, and New York is interesting because they can't replicate what Atlanta did. They don't have the cap space. Atlanta had a lot of cap space last offseason. They went and signed Bogey. You know, they got Capella. They used their cap room. The Kings don't have that. You look what the Knicks did. They have largely the same roster, although Randall was much improved, but they got a new head coach. And you look at the Phoenix route, uh, they built significant momentum in the bubble. They went undefeated there. They hit on more of their draft picks than the Kings did because, you know, they hit on Aiton where the Kings maybe didn't hit on Bagley. So they had a, uh, and they had Mikhail Bridges. They had a better young core earlier than the Kings did. So uh, what the Kings can do is they can, you know, they can keep Luke Walton and they can massively hit on their draft pick again, like they did with Tyrese Halliburton, but that's no guarantee. Or they can, they can sort of do what Phoenix did, which is, you know, maybe trade the pick and swing for the fences to some degree on a veteran like Chris Paul. Although in that scenario, uh, you are banking a lot on having the best offer for whoever that guy is. And that's no guarantee. Um, what I would, what I would, I mean, it's weird to say what I would like to do because I'm not rooting for someone to lose their job. That sounds very harsh and it's not the point I'm trying to get across. But I think the, maybe the easiest path forward and this goes back to something we've talked about on the podcast a lot, where this team needs to get tougher, right? Tougher on the court. But I also think there's a certain element of getting tougher in the locker room. And I'm, I just saw this across my you know, Twitter feed. Jason Anderson just tweeted a quote from Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Tyrese Halliburton on Kings coach Luke Walton. He said, he's a very much a player's coach. I love him. I love playing for him. So he's definitely high up in that regard. We get along really well. And I look forward to playing for him for years. And I don't know if what the Kings need right now is a coach that everybody loves. We talk about toughness. We talk about accountability. 
Last episode, we talked about, you know, who is there telling Buddy Heald what is or isn't a good shot. I think, you know, chemistry in like a kumbaya locker room is great when you're winning. I think Steve Nash is probably close to Luke Walton in that regard, where he seems like a player's coach, but that's a team with three superstars and they win a lot. So it's easy to have a player's coach when you have those players. With a young team, I look at what the Knicks did, and I don't think their talent level is substantially higher than the Kings. I think if you can find a coach with um, a, a little bit, you know, maybe less of a player's coach, less involved with keeping everybody happy, someone that, you know, Tyrese Halliburton isn't going to come away from and saying, hey, I loved playing with this coach all year, but they lost a ton of games and they weren't very competitive for a lot of it. And they missed the playoffs by a lot. Like, I don't know if the Kings should love that. I don't know if the players should love that. Maybe they should. Maybe I'm wrong. But I look at what's the easiest thing to do is maybe get a different coach in there with a different voice, with different schemes, with different rotations that everyone is not so comfortable with. Create a little bit of uncomfortability and make these guys earn their minutes again, make them earn their playing time again, and, and get some accountability from, from there on down. And the, the roster needs to change as well, too, for sure. It's just harder to speculate on what roster moves they should make with players who aren't here. It's much easier to speculate with what we already see and what we have is Luke Walton. And I, I think that's at least one move that the Kings should make and get, get a different coach in there who has a little bit more toughness and maybe less of a player's coach mindset. Well, you know, I, I think that too in the league, I think that's a, the, one of the toughest things to do is to make sure you, if you change coaches, get a better coach. Uh, you yes. know, I mean, it, it's just not a, it's just not an automatic, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I always, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things, but I do, I really agree with you. Uh, you know, with Luke, if Luke were to ask my opinion, which of course he would not, but, but I'd say, you know, you, you really, uh, there's a case where you, it's really important to be respected by your players and, and it's nice if they like you, but it's not really that important that they, you know, cause really you almost need to have, be able to have two or three of them pissed off at you all the time, to be honest with you. I think that's a reality. Now, if in fact they respect you and they think you're fair, that, that, the pissed off part will go away to some degree. Uh, but, but I, I did think that was, a, it's just too much of a comfort zone. I, I felt, uh, you know, it's much like some of my early criticism of De'Aaron Fox. And I think a tiny bit of it's still true is that he's too easy to comfortable to play against. You know, I always, you know, I've told you guys my Kenny Smith rule. It's, it's like, you know, I was told with Kenny, I said, you know, you're really a talented guy, but everybody loves playing against you. You know, you piss nobody off. And I mean, you'll never be a top player until you, until, I mean, ask how many guys enjoy playing against Chris Paul. He's a little prick. Uh, and, 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 you, and, and as you mentioned with, with, with Tibbs, or I mean, you go back to Popovich or, or, probably you know just about any of the top guys you know that i guarantee you you need more accountability more accountability and, and i think you know and i think luke is by nature a really nice guy and and uh, and and that's not a bad thing but at some point uh i you know with his if he's going to be here he really needs to i think to change his uh, coaching philosophy a little bit uh don't worry about being a player's coach uh being the king you know be the king's coach and uh win, yeah. uh, try to be a winning coach you know and that means and like i say that means uh you know it may mean that you you may uh, uh, harrison barnes you may need to bench his butt once in a while for whatever reason because he's not doing exactly what he's supposed to do that's all 
it's nothing personal, but it's, you know, it's not like a mafia guy. It ain't personal. It's just business. <laughs> sure. Jerry, I'm, I'm, I'm curious only because um, you, you seem to think that a coach can change their philosophy like that. Uh, do, you, do you feel like Luke Walton can, in fact, change his style enough to where next season he comes in and he's busting ass a little bit more and players are going to respond to that in a way that they go, well, I like coach, but he, he's all of a sudden doing a Tibbs impression. How, how do you get a player to believe that you've actually changed rather than just, oh, he's just being a tough guy. He'll get back to being my buddy halfway through the season. Well, that, that's, that's the great question. And, and, and answer to it, I, I'd say it's very rare uh, that sure. it can happen. I think it, it can. Uh, I think really the greatest example I know of that, that kind of did that was Pat Riley. Pat Riley was a different coach in New York than he was in L.A. Uh, when he was with, when he, cause he got the job in LA, you know, on the fly and because he wasn't Paul Westhead, even though Westhead had won a championship <laughs> and, and guys like to play his style. So, you know, so he got to be the good guy and, and you could still win there because they were so good. But, sure. uh, but then as he got more confidence, as he got more confidence and he became Pat Riley and, 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 and so it's a different thing. So to answer your question, I think it's, it's a, it can be done, and it's probably a process. Can it be done over the summer? Honestly, it probably never has, uh, because I mean, it it goes back to the same flaws we all have. You know, it's very difficult to solve a problem if you can't admit you got one, and, and I think that's always the the toughest thing. But but I mean, and I don't, you know, and I, I and I don't know they have to be try to be Tibbs, but it, it just really a, a sense of hey guys, you're going, I'm, you know, we're gonna you're going to be. I'm going to make you accountable here. We're, we're going to, we're going to have a different approach here. And it would have to start day one in the first practice of camp, of camp you know, and I yeah. mean, that that's all. And now, you know, is he, is he capable of that? I, I have no idea, but, but I mean, I know he's a bright young man and, uh, but it'd be a, it'd be tough because like you say, he'd have to all of a sudden the, the, the wonderful, guys like Tyrese Halliburton, and De'Aaron Fox, at some point you'd, you might have to say bad words to them and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and they'd have to understand this is, this is a big boy league now. Only because I'm not trying to save Luke Walton's job necessarily. I'm only curious about the way uh, these problems get solved. Is this something maybe Jerry that you could bring in um, not necessarily firing Alvin Gentry or getting rid of a Rex Kalamian, but is there a way that you could bring in assistant coaches and Luke, Luke allows himself to, uh, to take a step back a little bit and let his assistant coaches bust, bust more balls than, 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 than the usual. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out a way in which, because it sounds to me like everything that we've kind of heard is that there's a, it feels almost like a setup that like, uh, we're about to, we're about to let everybody know Luke Walton's coming back for another year. And in this case, that scares me a little bit. And I need uh, assurances that this isn't the same Luke Walton or this isn't the same, co same coaching style next year as it was this year. So I'm just curious, uh, picking the mind of a professional, um, uh, is, there, is there any other way we can get Luke Walton some help here? I, I, will, I, will, I will go fund me a, a sports <laughs> psychologist to come talk to the team about what they need to do. But is, is there any other thing that Luke Walton could do in order to, uh, to change this and, and, and turn around as a coach? I think it has to come from him. I really do. I, I think basketball is so different. I mean, it's not like football. You can change offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators because they actually get to control, for the most part, offenses and defenses. But in the NBA, the coach 
the head coach takes guys out of games and he puts them in. And that's, that's all the power. Uh, and, and, and you can't delegate that. I don't think I've never seen it done. Uh, so answer your question. No, I, I really don't. I mean, there's guys you could hire, but, but I mean, you'd probably create more problems on your staff uh, with that than, than you'd gain. And I think, so it's, to me, it's a matter of, of Luke maybe evaluating not only himself, but the season and to say, well, we've got to do something different. I've got to do something different. And I think, I don't think that's, uh, you know, I think most coaches should, you know, uh, at some point say, geez, we didn't, we didn't win as much as we should have. What can I do to make sure we win more? And at some point, uh, may not be group hugs, may not be the answer. So what you're saying is we can't pull a, a Robert Para, owner of the Memphis Grizzlies, who went to Dave Yeager and asked him a couple of games into the season, can I hire a coordinator and have you wear a headset like the NFL? And uh, <laughs> you, bark out, you bark out the offensive plays and the coordinator will tell you what to do on defense. So you're saying we can't really pull that in Sacramento then. Well, I, I think that, <laughs> uh, boy, I think that ship has sailed, I hope. I, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if any place could replicate that, it would be Sacramento, though. I feel like the Kings are a prime location for trying weird stuff, and that would be the one I would be uh, most overjoyed to see. Tony, you look yeah. like you were going to say something before I before I jump in there. Yeah, I, so I, th- I think uh, – well, I'll say it this way. Luke Walton expects to be back. We saw his quotes after the game last night. He says, I, have, I, I think I'm going to be here. I have every expectation to be back this year. Everyone is sort – everyone publicly anyways – is behaving as if Luke Walton will return. So whatever, you know, we might think or want, if that's the case, the, like they can be good next year with Luke Walton. If Monty McNair has a fantastic offseason. I'm reminded of the, the play Chemezi Metu got injured on where, you know, Jonas Valanciunas made a dirty play on him and nobody on the Kings did anything. There was no, you know, response. There was no pushback in the moment. No one barely even checked on, on Chemezi Metu. It was just like, all right, here's this dirty play that happened. And there was no response at all. The Kings could change what they have under Luke Walton if they went and got some tough players, someone like a, I mean, you can't get Valanciunas, you know, literally, but someone who will mix it up and and play physical. And you can change the on-court personnel, like a Jay Crowder or a PJ Tucker or something, get an impact player that can make them tougher and make them better. But that again, relies on Monty McNair to have a very fantastic and aggressive offseason which he hasn't shown to be that sort of general manager yet so I, I just want to say that like even if Walton does return and if people are disappointed by that or think that there's no hope there is hope if McNair has a great offseason it's just those are like I said before like those are things we can't control or, or the Kings can't control you need two to tango on everything whether it's a free agent you need the guy to want to come here or it's a trade you need the other team to agree to something that works out for you so it's just more uh, it's less you can control if you rely on the general manager to do it all. But whether it's Walton or another coach, McNair needs to make some moves this summer. So it's not all on Walton either, even if, you know, it's it, sometimes the conversation comes off as if, oh, you just get rid of Walton and everything's great. It's not. And, but it could be with Walton if McNair has a great offseason. Yeah. You know, the other thing too is it's like with Luke. I mean, I, in fairness, I mean, you know, to me, if you had Chris Paul here, Luke could be fine. I mean, yeah. just like yeah. just like Steve Kerr was fine with with uh, Steph Curry, you know. I mean, if you've got that great player and natural coach on the floor type thing, I mean, Frank Vogel is not one bit better coach in L.A. than he was in in, in Orlando. 
uh, but a guy named LeBron is providing, you know, at, when he's at his best, the leadership. So there, you know, you, you've got now. So, so it's what I'm saying is, so if, if Monty can come up with a guy, <laughs> sure. a, a real, you know, a real difference kind of guy, because I think this team, as you pointed out rightly, Tony, is a, it's too soft. It is too soft and it shows up in those ways. And, and I mean, uh, uh, to my mind, if you could go find it, somehow get a Miles Bridges from Charlotte, let's say, I think, I, I think that guy is a tough buckaroo boy. And uh, just, uh, you know, I mean, just, you know, it's like Iman Shumpert was for a while, but, but I mean, but Bridges is way better. You know, he, I mean, Shumpert provided a lot of stuff except talent. Uh, and what you want is a guy that, you know, has the talent as well as all the intangibles. And uh, I, I think, you know, uh, chemistry is a part of it. And this team really, they've got talent, some talent, but they, they don't have the toughness they need uh, maybe off the floor and on the floor. Is there, any, is there any hope at all in projecting that somebody like a Tyrese Halliburton could take, could take a role like that in his second season in the NBA? Do you need somebody to be a six, seven, eight-year guy in order to come in and, and earn the respect of other six, seven, eight-year guys? Well, I think I think Halliburton uh, is a winner. I mean, I think he's he's a he's a gifted player. I don't think it. it I just haven't seen his personality to be, you know, the knock you know knock someone's dick in the dirt. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And and yeah, I mean, sure. and, and at some point you kind of need one of those guys. Uh, just sure. about every team has one. And I don't think, you know, the probably most physical guy the Kings have is probably Rashawn Holmes, you know, just simply yep. won't sure. go backwards. But uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd even be fair to Tyrese, to be honest with you, or, or, sure. or, or Fox. I mean, I think they can get more physical and stand their ground better, but that's not who they are. Sure. And, and, and I think that's, that's kind of the issue, I guess, is where I'd say that's, that's so that's kind of why you need to get someone who is you know, sure. that way, you know, that just simply a, a, like, you you know, like say Jay Crowder or, or whoever, I mean, you've got to have somebody that really is a, you know, a really good player. And I mean, there's, there's guys out there that may be gettable for the right deal that would, could, could make more than the more difference than just their, their talent and their numbers. Sure. So, so reading the room here and assuming that Luke Walton stays, I mean, obviously that's just complete projection on my part. We don't have any inside information one way or another. We just kind of get to read the tea leaves on uh, what everybody says and what, what every single, uh, you know, interview that we've heard so far said. Luke Walton stays. Um, the, the, Kings, uh, the Kings have a draft pick coming up um, that is projected to be um, in the Tyrese Halliburton range. So there is a, a difference maker that could be available. However, it's not something where we're going to get a uh, – we're not assumed to get a superstar, a Cade Cunningham, an Evan Mobley, something like that. Do, do you guys see any possibility – or, Jerry, do you see any merit in the idea of using that draft pick, uh, combining them with a Marvin Bagley or a Buddy Heald or something else um, to, to significantly upgrade the roster in terms of a player, try to get a fringe all-star or somebody who's a little bit disgruntled? Or do you feel like it's better that the Kings play a little bit of the slow game allow them to draft a player that's more in the age range of Tyrese Halliburton and, and De'Aaron Fox and let the team develop a little bit slower with guys more in Fox's range. Well, I, I think the risk is uh, the second part. I mean, because you, you just don't know that you're going to get that 
Halliburton or, or Fox guy. Absolutely. I mean, you may just swing and miss, and then where would you be? And so in answer to your question, obviously you want to draft the best player you can if that's what you do. But I, I would sure look to, you know, always look to trade the pick and player if you to get something you know will make you better, for, feel confident will make you better. Uh, I, I think that would be, you know, it's just uh, that's how the the quickest way to turn it. I think we've already talked about that. I mean, if the, the when the Kings became good, it really wasn't because of the draft picks, uh, even though they had a couple of good ones that came on board at the same time, Page uh, and uh, Jay Will, but it's because of Chris Webber. The trade to get Chris Webber and the free agent of, of lot. That's why. And I mean, and, and certainly had you not done that and just taken the draft picks, uh, the team would have still been quite a ways off. Are the Kings missing there, Chris uh, Weber? No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I think Fox could, you know, he might always be the leading scorer. And, and but I mean, this team needs another star type, you know, maybe the equivalent. I mean, I won't say better or whatever, but I mean, of, yes, you, you need one more guy of that caliber that should be a top, you know, if you're going to win consistently, you almost have to have two top 25, 30 guys. Sure. And, and I mean, right now the Kings maybe have one. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and that's still a maybe. I mean, I mean, just because as much as I like Fox, it still hadn't done it. I mean, you know, you, you still hadn't played on a winning team. So, so I think it's always difficult. It's not like a, a Tatum or a, a Donovan Mitchell who have. And so you, to me, you have to give them more credit sure. because they've, they've done more. They may have had better situations, but they've still done Absolutely. it. You know, they've been, and so that, that's important. But I, yeah, in answer your question, I, I mean, yeah, they, they need another, you know, if they could get another 27, 28 year old proven guy, you know, near all, near all-star level. Uh, this team could be, you know, might move up to the the Hawks, <laughs> Knicks kind of status. You know, I mean, really, they could just jump right up there another 10 games, 12 games pretty easy, um, possibly. Tony, do you have a guy in mind at all? And I saw your wheels turning a little bit there, and I, I, figured, yeah. I figured I'd give you the chance to uh, introduce who you think might be a good fit. I do have a guy, um, and it's, you know, I, but where I come down on this is like, can you get a guy at Weber's level without giving up someone like Tyrese Halliburton? Because you know, the teams are going to be calling and asking for him. And then it becomes like, how much of your future do you mortgage? Cause if you get it wrong and you lose Tyrese and the pick, now you're really set back. But the one guy who might become available and uh, he adds some toughness and he's like, Jerry said that fringe all-star type and their, their, uh, their organization is certainly under some, some duress right now is um, Sabonis. And I don't know if they, if they can get Sabonis, but there's a guy who I think solves a lot of problems, but can you get him without Tyrese Halliburton? Like you probably can't, but maybe that's worth it. Maybe you do give up someone like that to bring in a legitimate all-star who's tough, who can play with Fox. And now you have something, but where, you know, everything is sort of, is sort of connected because getting someone like Sabonis, if you have to lose Tyrese Halliburton makes way more sense if you just kept bogey. Because now you've got all these different options at guard and you can fill in and you don't lose as much. So it's, it's tough. That's why I sort of lean towards the side of let's, you know, get younger and sort of build slow 
with the young guys because if if your plan was to go all in on someone keeping bogey gives you such a, an extra asset where you can lose someone like Halliburton without having it it impact every level down the roster so the kings have kind of set themselves a little bit back here by not picking a direction earlier because now they can't fill all the holes they will create by trading for the next player it can still be done but i don't know if you can get someone at like the sabonis level then you have to start looking at guys who are a little bit worse and then that that shuffle that you know you have to adjust every direction after that so it is going to be tough but if sabonis is available that's a guy who fits the king's timeline and solves a lot of problems for them all over the court yeah, you know, I, I have a little bit of insight on this, a bonus thing. I, I just don't believe he's – I think they'd trade anybody but him on that franchise, yeah. especially Miles Turner. I think he's very gettable because yeah. uh, they've. I think that ship may have sailed there. But uh, anyway, uh, but I, I agree with you. I mean, but I'll say this. I wouldn't trade Halliburton. I mean, it would have yeah. to be uh, – I, I mean, I, I would probably opt for the, okay, we, we just can't get the major star unless – unless somebody is really disgruntled kind of thing, which certainly always does happen. You know, you never know. Uh, Jimmy Butler decides he wants to play in Sacramento, which we know ain't going to happen. But, but, but that's that sort of thing. You, you, you try to come up with a deal. Uh, but, but I do think probably you can, you really need to have, you know, that's kind of where you need to have the, your eyes and ears open. I mean, but I mean, I was like, say, I'll point out the Miles Bridges because I really like him and I think he's ready to step up to near star level. And I kind of think he, he almost needs to be available for them because Hayward is under contract and he's a gifted guy. And even though he seems to can't stay healthy, but they, they can't play both of them the way they need to play and they need more size. And uh, so there may be, deals there and then and that may even though that's not going to jump you up into the upper echelon on talent but it but it's a kind of thing that might chemistry wise might you know might change might change things i mean to give you a chance and and maybe you know maybe you don't even need your uh, draft to use your draft pick that way can i throw something out to both you guys that i've been thinking about for the last week or so a couple weeks actually um so we've talked about some moves that cost a lot to do. Here's a move that won't cost a lot to do, but I'm curious if Jerry and Will, you guys think this is enough of an impact. There's a player out there who is a, a veteran, he's had a lot of success, he's very available, and had a pretty good year this year after a very bad year. And it would allow the Kings to get Tyrese Halliburton in the starting lineup and move on from Buddy Heald. But I don't know if his impact at this age is, is what you need. But he is a leader, and he's a defender, and he's a quarterback on defense. Uh, how would you guys feel about doing something like Buddy Heald um, or some other sort of uh, larger contract number for someone like Al Horford, who is older, but he's got a great reputation. He's a great locker room guy. He's got some toughness. He's he's a center, but he can stretch the floor a little bit. Maybe he could play w- with Rashawn Holmes because you can have him outside and he's a good passer. But he's old, but he's respected. Is that something that would interest you, Jerry or Will? Jerry, I'll let you go first. <laughs> you know, this may... Sadly, it probably would. <laughs> uh, yeah. For for maybe, you know, because like as you pointed out, I mean, he's he's absolutely top of the line guy everywhere he's yes, been. Right. Uh, a pros pro and and would bring some of the things you just don't have. And it, at my understanding, it'd be the last year of his contract. So so you'd be probably ahead there. Yeah, I think it's one more year, and then it's a, a partial guarantee the next year. Partial, so, I think partial guarantee. Yeah. So, 
so you know you you know if in fact there really isn't the deal because I, I honestly kind of think and and I've been a buddy fan and, and he didn't have a terrible year except that you know I'm not at all sure Terrence Davis or, or Dellen Wright doesn't replace him anyway yeah right you know I mean you you almost uh, with Halliburton's development you've almost got that covered mm -hmm. so so if you can't I, I guess I guess my answer would be if you can't really get a a deal that you really like mm -hmm. that would be uh, i think and honestly it would strengthen your team for next year and give you more flexibility going forward and it'd be allow you to keep homes probably yeah so it, it's probably a, a win differently mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely think that talent wise buddy healed uh the 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 thunder do the deal only because buddy is a a, a you know, six, six years younger than, than Al Horford. I think Al Horford's like 34, 35. Um, I think it does allow cap space in the future, which as somebody who has uh, got his tank commander hat on, I'm always happy for a little cap space in order to trade in for something else. I just, uh, I always worry about player fit. I always worried about Al Horford having the chance to come to the Kings in a, a you know, uh, previously and and not really being I, I, there was a free agency or a trade a trade deadline where we'd we thought um, either it was between Al Horford and um, and Dwayne Dedman Tim Tim Maxwell's favorite player and um, I, I think that Al Horford picked probably correctly in going to the Sixers even though that didn't really work out. Um, my my fear my fear with that is only then we're we're also getting older, where uh, I, I don't think he impacts the game necessarily as much as we'd hope for somebody who was 34 35 but as a as a super udonis haslam somebody who comes in and looks the aaron fox in the eye and tyrese halberton in the eye and and forces them to play the right way every single night as long as he's engaged and not not uh, stricken with sacramento itis where he just forgets how to play basketball because he knows he's going to be gone in the next year i i would be tentatively okay with it i would Tony, do you expect anything to come back from the Thunder in that? Or do you expect the Kings to have to send anything else out? Or is it just a straight swap? Well, it depends what the Thunder want to do. And Sam Presti's super savvy. So he's going to have a plan and either it works for him or it doesn't. I do think, you know, they've have a history now of these reclamation projects working out quite nicely for them. They did it with Chris sure. Paul and they improved his value from nothing to something. They did it with Al Horford. I was looking at his numbers earlier, 14 points a game. You know, 450 from the field, 368 from three on 5.4 attempts. So you're getting a stretch center who can theoretically quarterback your defense. 3.4 assists. The Kings certainly could use more ball movement in their starting lineup. Not a great rebounder, but, you know, he's not perfect. And he's also very old. But if, the, if, if Presti thinks that he can swing it one for one, where you get Buddy in, Horford out, you can reclaim Buddy's value to something closer to what he was under Jaeger, they, they could be pretty confident about that they've done it twice now with players in far worse condition than buddy is i mean buddy had a pretty decent year last year despite the narrative and uh on a team like the thunder with no expectations if they if they fixed paul's value and now they fixed horford's value to some degree um i could see presty just in his asset swinging mindset saying hey we're getting this older guy out we're bringing a younger guy in we'll pump his value for half a year we'll trade him for a late first of the deadline like i could see him going on that logic too, where a one for one swap might make sense for both sides. As a selfish jerk, I would, I would assume that if, if Sam Presti can pump up his value by playing him next to Shea Gilgis Alexander, that I would expect Monty McNair could do the same. If I, if I have confidence in my general manager to pump up his value in some way or another over half of next season and then trade him for whatever 
we expect Sam Presti to get. I would much prefer if Sam Presti is going to swing Buddy Hield for a few picks and somebody else, I would just prefer not to have Al Horford and just swing Buddy Hield myself for that. Now, Sam Presti and Monty McNair, one's the cream of the crop and one's kind of an unknown, but I would, I would much prefer the, the pumping up of value to be done in Sacramento and the, the, the value that the real value that comes back coming to Sacramento rather than Oklahoma city and the Kings getting a, a savvy veteran who, who could potentially be a culture changer if he's in the right mindset. I, I, I truly, truly fear any player that, that was once a star or was once held to a very high standard coming to Sacramento and not immediately crossing his arms, you know, frowning his face, talking to his wife and his wife being on social media going, you know what, we're going to be out of here in six months anyway. So why don't you guys just shut up about it? I'm terrified of that. And, and I think that Sacramento has a history of having George Hills come in or Dwayne Dedman, who's playing great for the, for the heat, having those players come in and immediately just tank any value that they had left both on the court or off the court. You know, those are, those are great points. And I mean, I think you absolutely have to be concerned about that. You have every, every right. And that, in my opinion, you know, is like say, if in fact you, you just simply, uh, find out that you you decided you'd like to trade buddy because you maybe have his replacements uh you think and uh and you can't get a deal you know i mean you can't get a deal and do you want to go through another year uh of the same thing <laughs> you know and and i mean and 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 that so you know that that would be that would be why i would do it it would be almost for the wrong reasons that you you feel like you need to trade him because you can play just as well without him with current guys on your roster. And that, uh, that, that this other guy does fill a couple of needs. Uh, if he just come in and be the pro he's always been as a backup center power forward and that you are saving money to save, to sign a guy that's important to you. And you can be, you know, out of the contract in a year. And if you want to be, and, and move on down down the road and it doesn't really affect your long-term development it's just a it's sure. it's a one-year get better with it's a one-year way of trying to get better uh differently that's all i mean but but i yeah, yeah it, it would not yeah you'd much rather yeah. yeah you could say okay we'll trade you buddy for this small forward that we need or uh and you need a two guard we need a small forward Let's just do that kind of thing. Sure, that, that's what you'd like to do. Yeah, if you can get something better for Buddy, obviously do it. The only thing I would say is like the Kings tried to, to reclaim his value this year and it didn't exactly work. So they could just run it back and he could either stay exactly where it is or it could get worse. Whereas someone like Oklahoma City Thunder, there is no expectation there in the immediate sure. future. The Kings need to win. So I don't know if they can, can dedicate another year to fixing buddy's value like someone like the thunder could sure absolutely um, that would be my counter but no i i think you're i think you're right go ahead jerry yeah i mean yeah if you could go to you know toronto and say give us og and an ob for for buddy uh that's what you do sure but but i mean that's that <laughs> you have to have the other team agree to that absolutely <laughs> so let's uh so let's move into this then a little bit um let's actually get some off-season predictions in here only because there's enough uh there's enough darts on the board here that we can that we can throw and and, and mix things up a little bit I, i've i've we can start with we can start with buddy healed do you feel like uh jerry and tony do you feel like the kings are going to trade buddy healed this off-season or maybe they need to trade buddy healed this off-season 
do you feel like that that's a deal that ends up getting done? Yes or no? I, I think they need to. I do. I mean, I, I'm at the point now where I think they, they need to uh, in order to get better. Uh, and, and, I, and I think probably Buddy, for his own benefit, needs to. I think it's just one of those, you know, obviously it needs to be a tr an actual trade that benefits the Kings. And we've, we've already talked about it, but I, I think it needs to. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it needs to, and I think it will, but I've been wrong on these, you know, who should move and when predictions since we started the podcast. So don't take my word for it, but I, but yeah, I do think that's, you know, aside from figuring out the coaching thing, that's decision. Number one is what, what are we going to do with buddy healed and how are we going to get Halliburton in the starting lineup? Yeah. I, again, I, I think reading the tea leaves, I think Jerry mentioned this earlier, but, but having right on the team, having somebody like Terrence Davis, who's a restricted free agent, yeah. it almost signals to me. And we've talked about this before, but it signals to me that buddy healed is, the one on the chopping block, especially with Tyrese Halliburton there. He's the one that's going to be uh, – they just he has obvious replacements on the bench. He has an obvious replacement in the starting lineup. Uh, he's got a contract that should be movable for something, um, and he has the motivation to want to go as well, as we've seen as he secretly likes things on Twitter in, in the background. I mean, it seems like everything is lining up for a, for a buddy he'll – uh, trade this offseason and I agree with you guys that not only should it get done but it probably needs to and and that that leading into my my second one um, one of the reasons it needs to get done is for a Rashawn Holmes contract to get signed to try to bring Rashawn Holmes back so Jerry do you think the Kings ultimately bring Rashawn Holmes back or do you think that Rashawn Holmes signs for money and goes somewhere else well I I I mean, I, I hope the Kings can sign in because you don't get better by losing one of your better players. You know, there again, it's a, it's a, it's an asset and uh, teams with, without a lot of assets, it's very difficult to improve by losing some of the best ones you have. Uh, as we've already pointed out with bogey, I mean, whether you people can say it wasn't worth this or wasn't worth that's, that's their opinion, but he's clearly a really good player and that about every team in the league. And I know for a fact, really liked him to some level. <laughs> and so, sure. and, and Rashawn Holmes fits that bill as well. Uh, uh, so, yeah, and I think the Kings, uh, yeah, if they do a couple of things, I think they'll be able to keep him. I, I, I mean, I think they'll probably have to pay him a little more than they want to, uh, but that I'd rather pay a little more than you want to than to try to save $2 million or whatever and, and lose somebody. But I do think he'll have some pretty good offers. I mean, I think he's probably going to have to give the Kings a hometown disc discount and I think he probably would uh but you wouldn't expect him to to you know somebody offers him 17 million a year and the Kings offer him 12 well of course uh, you know it'd be ridiculous uh, for him not to take that and I, I, I have heard the rumors and from pretty reliable sources that Charlotte is basically gonna you know get rid of Biombo and, and Cody Zeller in order to create room just for him what do you expect, Jerry, that uh, for him to get in this offseason? Could you put a, a could you put a a round number? I won't hold you to it. But could you could you put a number on it? You know, if it, if it's me, I probably would like. You know, I probably won't be if it's me wanting to pay the money, not my money. If it's my money, I'd give him nine dollars an hour. But but uh, but uh, <laughs> but I, I I mean I think the Kings have to be ready to pay twelve twelve plus for probably four years might be a discount on the fourth year. Now that's minimum. Now, do I think that they better, that there'll be bigger offers out there? Yes, I do. 
And so that that once that's out there, and I mean, I, I think his agent, even though he's a free agent, I mean, you can always talk to agents like, look, uh, we don't want to bid against ourselves, but we, you know, we, we, we want him here and he wants to be here. So if there's something that, that's way better, let us know. And generally speaking, you can, you can, you can operate on that basis if a player wants to be somewhere. Do you expect um, him to get what uh, some, some reports are saying that the, the Rashawn Holmes camp are expecting upwards of $20 million. Do you expect Rashawn to get an offer like that, a Davis Bertans type number? I don't think so. And I think, Bretons is a good reason why maybe he won't, (laughs) 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 you know, but I, 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 I'd be surprised. And I know I, I read the, the, you know, uh, the the Herald all the time and all the different comments. I know they're really some informed uh, fans and, you know, thinking that somehow another nine or $10 million will do it. And it's like, no, no, it probably won't. Uh, uh, you know, and, and don't kid yourself. Uh, but yeah, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get 15, plus million dollars for four years. I'd be very surprised for somewhere. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I think, I think, and this is, you know, this is, you know, maybe purple colored glasses, whatever you want to call it. But I think Rashawn Holmes has been around in a few stops now where maybe he played better than the guys in front of him, deserved more minutes, but because he wasn't the guy, um, he, he didn't get the minutes. He saw that, you know, in, in 70 in, at Philly where he was playing well and other guys who were drafted higher who, who had more money going to them played over him. Same thing in Phoenix where he played hard, played well, but they had Aiton and other young guys to play in front of him. I think the Kings gave him an opportunity and, you know, he, he could have been out of the league by now. If the King, if he didn't, you know, if the Kings were just, we're going to play Bagley over you, we're going to play these other guys over you, but no, they, they gave Holmes the opportunity and to his credit, he played awesome. And I think that's going to count for something. Charlotte is concerning because they will give him the opportunity and he's a great fit for those guys. I mean, that'd be a real fun team with Rashawn Holmes. I don't like hearing that, Jerry. But Not Me either. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do think Holmes will be back. And I, I, I think that's probably best for both sides because, you know, he's, he's part of the core here. And I, I think because of his other stops, I think that might mean something to him. And um, I, I just think, it, I think, ho- and hopefully McNair has learned from his previous mistake of letting guys leave for nothing. So there's, there's where I stance on it. Um, I'm a, I'm a little concerned. I'm, I'm a little less hopeful than you guys, but that's, that, that tends to be my MO as it is. Um, but I, I think that this is his one, one chance to get a great big contract. I think that he's going to, he's going to add up every single team in the league. That's because anyone could have given him that chance. The Kings were the ones who did it. But the general manager that gave him a chance is no longer there. The guy that he has loyalty is no longer there. Uh, they, I, I think that uh, it, when it comes down to it, if there's an offer of sixteen point five million and the Kings are only offering fifteen, if I'm Rashawn Holmes, I think Rashawn Holmes is taking sixteen point five, and he's saying, "Oh, I always love Sacramento. It'll always be the team that gave me a chance." And then he'll be wearing Charlotte Hornets blue the rest of his career. And, and I, I don't blame him for it. I, I think that he should, as somebody who's been a journeyman, get the contract that he deserves, but it, it, it scares me quite a bit that well, Jerry, every time you mention it, it scares me that Charlotte well, is, is itching for him. No, I know. And, and, you know, and, and, and I try, try to say this and I'm always wrong, you know, when they're, you know, the old saying, if it's not, it's always about the money. Uh, you know, I always go back to remember, Ryan Grant as a rookie coming in as a eighth pick in the draft, good pick. Anyway, he was saying, oh yeah, I, you know, I, 
I don't care about money. I'd sign for a, a Dr. Pepper and a bag of chips and then held out the entire summer league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, so, so that's the, you know, that's the reality. And of course, I haven't said that. Brian Grant, terrific player, good guy and all that. But he also left for free agency to, to Portland, you know, because they offered him. And your, your point is right. I mean, I think if you, you know, you, you might get him for a little bit less money, but it, it'll be, you know, and you can't expect it. It's a, it's a business. And so, you know, your one and a half million over four years becomes like six million. <laughs> and I, I know what I do for six million and, uh, you know, I might, you know, I might get involved in crime for that, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, it, to me, it's it's always a matter of I think the hometown discount can only go so far as as the player feels comfortable with his current management, and I'm sure he felt very comfortable with Vladi Divac because Vladi being the guy who yeah. gives him the chance here. But I yeah. think the hometown discount doesn't extend to more than sure. I'll let you front load my contract and make my last two or three years eight or nine million rather than the the flat type contract where it's 12 14 15 16 and that's his hometown discount is okay i'll 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 allow your cap guru to to mess with my contract a little bit so i'm more easily tradable when i'm when i'm one knee injury and three years into this thing yeah good point so let's uh let's get to uh let's get to luke walton then that's the one that we've kind of talked about before but i i i want i want hard pin down uh, opinions here on whether or not ultimately Luke Walton sticks around or ultimately Monty McNair decides to, uh, to choose his own guy. Well, the, I think the real question is, does Monty McNair get to choose? I mean, that's really the, the real question. Yeah. Assuming Monty McNair is allowed to choose his own coach, because that is absolutely something that we have to be afraid of in Sacramento with, I mean, where there is smoke, there is fire. And this force has been smoking for years. If Monty McNair is allowed to pick his own coach, um, do you feel like Luke Walton is allowed to stay another year? Do you feel like the Kings um, think financially Luke Walton should probably stay another year because it helps out their books a little bit? Or do you think Monty McNair, assuming he is uh, in full control of his team, um, goes out and finds uh, a coach that fits this roster better? I would have to know what, you know, with Monty, not only that, can he make the, the decision if he wants to, but more importantly, who does he have in mind or does he have, if, is he confident that, you know, that there's a coach out there that he wants to hire? And I mean, we have no, you know, just no inklings at all at this stage. That doesn't mean he doesn't have his, you know, one, two, three, four in line, you know, guys he'd like to hire. So, uh, I just think, honestly, I, I'd almost be surprised if he's not back. I just think that, uh, and and I and I almost get the feeling that 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 that's partly Monty's decision as well, that that, that he'll be back. Momentum momentum certainly dictates that Luke is headed closer to staying than going. As far as as far as everything we've seen in the media, as far as every player that we've we've heard and everything else, it sounds very much like they are. Um, hoping that Luke Walton returns and some media sounds even like that. They feel like it's likely Tony, what do you think? Is it, is it a done deal? Is Luke Walton staying or are we getting somebody new in this, in this off season? Um, I'm going to go with an opposite argument, partly because we've hit the Luke Walton probably returns, but I also do I, I 51, sure. 51, 49. I, I lean in this direction. So it's very close, but here's my logic. 
Um, there were reports that Vivek is not a huge fan of Walton and that Vivek was actually okay firing him early in, earlier in the year. That was from pretty decent sources in The Athletic with Sam Amick and, you know, different, you know, appearances on Carmichael Dave's radio show and, and whatever. So there's, that, that, is, that idea is out there, that Vivek was actually okay moving on. And then also out there was that Monty McNair promised Luke Walton the entire year. And I could see Monty McNair as a first-year general manager uh, not very interested in going back on his word with someone who is from a well-connected NBA family, a well-respected, you know, from the Lakers organization, Bill Walton's been an analyst forever. This is a connected family. You don't want to, you really don't want to piss off someone like that when you gave them your word that they would have the whole year as coach. So you've got all, you, you kept them through the year. You kept your word. Vivek, if you believe these reports was already okay moving on. So I think this is an opportunity where if this is what Vivek wants to do, and he's okay with it. And if it's what McNair is now okay with doing because he, he, he kept his word and he, and he did what he said he would do. There is, uh, I don't know how many coaches get this sort of a chance where you, you had a year under the guy who hired you, you had a year under the new guy and there hasn't been much improvement made. I do think uh, Walton is out. And I, I think, you know, it, it can be justified for, for all these, all these different ways. I think everybody sort of can, can uh, tie it up on a bow night nicely and feel like they did what they were supposed to do their obligations. It was okay. They kept them employed during the pandemic. You know, you get all your brownie points there and now it's time for McNair to put his stamp on the roster and hire his own coach and bring in his new players. And that's where we move forward from here. So we'll see where it goes, but I think there, you can connect some dots there, despite the fact that, a lot of the word out of the Kings right now is that he's coming back and he's staying and everybody loves him. Jerry, only because I want to get your opinion. I'm sure we'll, we have a whole off season to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, but I just wanted to get your opinion on, um, on what kind of coach Monty McNair might like. And also w- 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 my biggest, my biggest thought is when you were talking here, there were reports that a guy like Terry Stotts um, is out of Portland unless he is going on a deep playoff run with uh, with the uh, Trailblazers, and also that um, the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, um, uh, Budenholzer, is the same way. That unless they are hitting the finals or the Eastern Conference Finals, that these guys are out. Um, there, there are also some pretty high profile um, um, first time coaches, you know, like a Wes Unseld or uh, uh, David Vanterpool. Um, guys that um, like da- uh, for Vanderpool, uh, Damian Lillard is a massive fan of his. Uh, he's he's somebody who is got the respect of a CJ McCollum, uh, uh, and and many people think that he probably should have gotten a chance in um, in Minnesota. Uh, who they when they hired Chris Finch in um, the middle of the season, and that seems to have turned out pretty well for the Timberwolves. Do you think uh, Monty McNair get it, seeing if if saying Luke Walton gets fired, should Monty McNair go for? Um, uh, a retread, which I guess it's that's pretty harsh for a Terry Stotts or Budenholzer, where they're they've been pretty successful. Um, do you think he goes for a previously successful coach, or do you think it, it, it behooves him to go a younger route uh, with a first time guy that that he could hit on the first try? Well, you know, I, I of course I feel the same way about probably the coach uh, if it was another one as I would the general manager. I think this franchise, the more proven guy you can get, the better off you are. Uh, because I mean, you may, you know, like with the, the assistant coach that everybody loves, uh, you don't know, you know, you know, you just don't know. And, uh, I mean, uh, 
you know, is uh, Terry Stotts and, and Budenholzer, are they retreads? Sure. So was Tom Thibodeau and Monty Williams and Gwen Snyder. You know, so that, that answers that in my book. <laughs> Frank Vogel won a championship. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, no, I, I, I mean, I think I think there's a time to to certainly assistant guys who, who really have never uh, had the opportunity to deserve one. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think if there's ever a franchise that needs the more sure thing they can get, it's this one. Uh, you know, I mean, if I could, you know, if I if if Luke Walton weren't here and they're looking for a coach and a Mike Budenholzer was available. Well, I know he led a Hawks team to 60 win season. I know he's led Milwaukee to 60 win seasons. Now, I other than Rick Adelman, nobody's done that here. And so and he was a retread, one of those old retreads <laughs> that, that's that's going into the Hall of Fame. So, uh, yeah, that would be my look. I, I mean, now if you want to take. I would say there's there's a couple of guys that's always in, intrigued me that uh, a guy that was assistant coach and a very successful college coach has everywhere he's been. Uh, Kelvin Sampson at University of Houston. He worked for with Kevin McHale for years with with the Rockets. The guy's a great coach, I'm telling you, and just tougher than than Rawhide. And uh, uh, I mean, and I don't know that he, you know, uh, but I'm just saying he's one of those. Uh, and one of those rare college guys that, that could step in this league and get it done. I, I really believe that. Uh, but uh, so, you know, I mean, if you're going to take to me, if you're going to say called take that kind of risk, I, I'd rather take it on the risk of a side of a guy who's had a lot of success as a head coach some way, some, and, and preferably have had NBA experience as well, you know, so you kind of get your bases covered. Yeah, I have one name that's been on the top of my list from the moment he was fired. So he is a retread, and maybe Jerry has an opinion on this person, maybe across circles. I'd be interested to hear it because maybe he's not as good as I might think he is, or maybe he is. But uh, the guy I keep looking at because he had some success with some um, some underwhelming teams, he was a guy that clearly made his teams be- be better than they were talent-wise. You know, got more of them out of them than expectations. And that's Kenny Atkinson um, from Brooklyn. He's also young enough where you can have him for a long time. Like he's not someone like Mike D'Antoni who has a great track record would be a great retread, but he's towards that back end of his career as a coach. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, again, I thought he did some good things with those Brooklyn teams. They showed a lot of grit and toughness against other Eastern conference teams that were a lot more talented than they were. And he's available. So that's, that guy has been sort of at the top of my list for a while now. If you're, you know, going with a, a dream head coaching hire of the guys who are, are, who are, should be readily available. Yeah, I like him. No, I, I, I mean, I've followed his career too. I mean, I think he's just one of those guys. He is a real coach and a little bit of a firebrand, and uh, obviously <laughs> very much called for. So I think he and he deserves another chance. He, he truly deserves another chance. I, you know, I'm not at all sure Brett Brown doesn't deserve another chance. Yeah. Uh, of course, of course, you know if sure. if. If, if, in fact, a Nate McMillan is available, you know, he's an interim guy. I mean, to me, he'd have to be at the top of everybody's list. Uh, uh, you know, I, you know, I know, uh, just know Larry Bird is just still sick about, you know, the Pacers letting, letting Nate go. He said, I never understood that uh, day one. I still don't. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, stuff happens. And, and I think that that would be the case with Budenholzer Stotts. It's not that they're not terrific. It's just they've been there so long, just like Rick Adelman. He was let go just because. 
uh, you know, I mean, that, that's what I think sometimes uh, Kings fans it's to sound like Katie here, but uh, don't understand <laughs> is that, that, that sometimes uh, often good coaches, it's just the nature of the beast, you know, they're somewhere long enough and they're, you know, it, you know, I always say friends come and go, enemies accumulate. And that's certainly the case uh, in, in coaching, regardless of how good a job you do and have done. And Kenny Atkinson, but any of those guys, uh, all those guys deserve other chances if they need one. Um, back in 2016, when Kenny Atkinson was hired, he was my favorite for the Kings job. And I remember uh, very vividly um, setting up, I was going to tweet a bunch of stats about Kenny Atkinson and a bunch of player quotes and everything else like that. And I had this whole thing set up and I tweeted out like my favorite for the Kings job is Kenny Atkinson. And just before I started getting to the next tweet, he got hired by the Nets. And I'd spent like a day and a half preparing this thing that I was going to do. And he got hired within five minutes of me tweeting out <laughs> that he was my favorite for the job. And I went, well, okay. Well, I just wasted my whole day on something. Yeah. Well, the guy that, I, you know, too, the guy, a guy that I've always really would love to see him get an opportunity with the Kings at some point is Mike Woodson. Now he's obviously just taking the Indiana university job, but I always, yeah. you know, he's a hard edge, you know, and I, he wouldn't be, he's not a, you know, not, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, not, not to everyone's taste, uh, but he's a little sure. old school, but I mean, it's like, all I know is he, he had 50 win teams at Atlanta and he had 50 win teams with the Knicks and uh, you know, and, and following him, there was, you know, not a lot. He built those teams into that and then, you know, managed to, you know, now we've I've talked to Woody and he managed to piss off enough people to get himself <laughs> first chance they could, they fired him, yeah. you know, but, uh, but, you know, a little bit of a, I mean, Woody was in my mind, a little bit of a Jerry Sloan throwback type coach, you know, and what struck me about Mike Woodson, um, I just remember, so he coached the Knicks for the first half of the year. And then you Jerry, he took that job uh, somewhere else. You said it was Indiana, Illinois, somewhere. Um, but when he came back to MSG a couple of weeks ago, every single player who was on his Knicks team, it, like the Knicks tweeted out this little social video, like, oh, love you, Mike Woodson, gave him a big hug, big hug, a lot. Like they, they loved that guy. And I was just thinking back, like if Dave Yeager came back, he wouldn't get that love from the Kings players. If Luke no. Walton came back, he wouldn't get that love from the Kings players. So it does take a certain personality like that to, like you said, be a tough guy. But when you return, every single player that you coached was super excited to see you come back, give you a big hug and like a lot of respect, a lot of love. And that really changed my opinion of Mike Woodson to see these guys. Like they loved Mike Woodson and it, it that did strict, strict tough, tough guy, straight shooter, fair, fair, absolutely fair. And I, and I think that always plays well. I mean, it's no different than your, your hard edge history teacher when you're in school, you know, at some point, yeah, I don't like this guy. And the more, you you know, after you after you spend a little time away and think about him, wow, that guy was that guy was terrific. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, is there any um, is there any fear that uh, say Luke Walton um, is let go that uh, a coach, knowing that there's only thirty of these positions in the league, uh, that a coach would turn down a Sacramento opportunity and wait it out a year or so? Would uh, my, my thinking is like a Budenholzer? Would he? Uh, even accept a job if he was offered a, 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 a commiserable rate of amount of money. Like my, Monty McNair says, Hey, I'm giving you a four-year contract, just like every other Kings coach. Do you think he would take a job like that? Or, or do you think some of these coaches know that they're in demand that they can get jobs elsewhere and would be willing to sit a year or so in order for those jobs to come up? Well, that, that is a great question. And I think, yeah, I think Budenholzer would be one of those guys that 
might very well uh, say, well, I'll have one more chance, you know, and so I I need to get the best chance to win. Having said that, I also know that, you know, guys, uh, coaches, it's like a Doc Rivers, you know, I mean, immediately uh, within, I mean, of course, he goes to a good situation. But, but I mean, most, most guys really want to coach. It, it's a strange and, and Budenholzer, you know, for instance, or a Terry Stotts, they don't really, I know they don't need the money right away and they'd probably get another chance. And so it would, uh, yeah, I, I think it'd just come down to whether they thought they had a chance to win. Well, I mean, if, if in fact oh. they looked at the roster and said, you know, I, I think I can go in there and make them better. And most coaches tend to think they can make them better. Uh, even when, turns out the camp sometimes but uh, uh but yeah I'd, I'd, I'd say you know yeah it, it'd be a case where it, it you know he these kind of coaches know that there's going to be seven or eight openings every year and sure. and but then again sometimes they wait you know it's the old Jeff Van Gundy thing it's like well you know I, I know he he didn't really want to coach for a while and then then would like to coach and now the ship has sailed <laughs> And so, you, you know, you, you, you can't be out very long. And these guys know that too. You're out, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that thought Thibodeau, Thibodeau would never get another job. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those. Yeah. There was a, yeah, there was a lot of people say, Oh no, he'll never get another job. And uh, well, he did. <laughs> <laughs> and he might've insured himself another job after this one as well. Yeah. I, 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 Point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, yeah, he, you know, the people say, "Well, he he wears guys out." Well, if, if, yeah, probably. True. So if you if you, you know, if you if you like winning three or four years, uh, then changing that that's better than does it wear you out to lose three or four straight years and then with the same guy. So I don't know. I think I think a, an undersold point here is also that if you come to Sacramento and you win in Sacramento, you're not just a good coach; you're immediately a legend. They have one coach that yeah. has a, a record above 500. And and that guy's yeah, in Hall of Fame. Rick, yeah, yeah. And well, I always I always I always tell Rick. I said that's the thing. You know, I said you're you you should be in the Hall of Fame for for two two things really. You 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 won in Sacramento eight years, eight playoffs, all winning seasons, and you had a fifty win season with Chuck Hayes as your starting center in Houston. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> for, for, I mean, seriously. Yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Now, you, now we're talking greatness here now. I went on that kind of stuff. That got, got to be the only team that had a winning record with a six-five center who couldn't do anything. Uh, you know, it's yes. Be. Who who really wasn't very good at Kentucky? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I mean, Chuck. I mean, he, he he earned everything he got. But I mean, I'm saying, really, I always said, that if if you were the coach of Fresno State and you said, "Well, we we're going to build around Chuck Hayes." You wouldn't feel very confident, would you? <laughs> that's a that's a great point. It's a you say, well, okay. <laughs> so we're so Rick, uh, yeah, Rick, uh, you know, amazing. I mean, in my book, uh, so many, so many levels, but the, but those two things, automatic, and we got rid of him. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's uh, let's move into that only because uh, it's a natural progression here. Um, it was it was announced this weekend that um, we have um, really four people that are connected to Sacramento that will be headed to the Hall of Fame next year. 
Um, obviously, Chris Webber um, is well overdue, and, and he, he'll be heading to the Hall of Fame. Yolanda Griffith, uh, Sacramento Monarch, she'll be headed to a Hall of Fame. Um, uh, Rick Adelman, as we previously said, is headed to the Hall of Fame, as well as a uh, former Kings coach, even though it was a little – uh, his record was a little less tenuous or a little, a little less stellar here than other places. Um, but Bill Russell will also be headed to the hall of fame as a coach, uh, previously being inducted as a player many, 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 many years ago. Um, Jerry, do you have anything you want to share with that? I, I know you're connected to each one of them in a certain way, and I wanted to get your opinions on it and, and any stories you might share. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's really interesting that I, you know, obviously with Yolanda, I was a general manager that drafted her, uh, you know, and, and we, talked to at times it wasn't necessarily a popular draft at the time but uh, in my mind I just knew that she would be the right person to play the style we wanted to play and and it worked out great had a good relationship with her she was very difficult at first she was a little bit difficult I was a little bit like Spud Webb she, you know when we I traded for Spud Webb he wouldn't even talk to me for a couple of weeks and and then we then we got to know each other and he wouldn't shut up but uh but uh, but i i really thought the world of but she was the same way very uh you know just not untrusting for a long time but uh great great competitor and very deserving happy and i was uh less so with uh, the you know i was involved in the hiring of rick adelman and i always remember you know not to say that the owner hired rick because of what I said, but I, I do remember saying it is that we were between uh, Paul Silas and Rick Adelman as far as hiring. And, uh, and, and, I, and I really thought the world of Paul as well as Rick, you know, I think Paul would have been a very good hire, don't get me wrong. But I always remember telling Jim, I said, uh, well, if it comes down to those two, then I think it should be Rick because I said, I know he and Jeff Petrie have a great relationship. And, and, you know, to have your general manager and your head coach as close friends, uh, boy, it, it just makes more sense to me. Uh, and so now then that's the way it played out. Now, whether that's why he did it, but, but he, you know, he did make that decision. And, and I know, and, and I know Jeff was, was uh, not, he didn't really necessarily push him harder for Rick. I mean, I, I think he was afraid to because of his friendship, but I mean, it was, it really was a Paul Silas and uh the cattleman thing so so that and then they just just of course i'd known rick back since he was a player with the old kansas city kings and uh when he got when he got beat out by mike d'antoni and i always made fun of him for that for years uh <laughs> but and then uh of course the weber uh trade i was in player personnel director then i remember uh you know that you know the of course Jeff did it and a gutsy move on his part and he did it all and deserves all the credit but I remember you know just being in the discussions about it and we'd trade Mitch and and uh Otis Thorpe and of course Otis was you know pretty much done by then and uh and of course really Mitch was on the downslide too I think that's what Washington didn't know and found out uh I mean he could still play at a high level but he wasn't just a the best two guard in the league anymore and uh and and so it was risky and it wasn't popular uh, in the kings and you know and all the pundits from the bay area said he weber would never show and never play and of course he did and of course they're wrong as they always are and then and later <laughs> later on he wouldn't resign and he did <laughs> but, but uh yeah anyway yeah it was a case where you know it's just uh so just having, uh, you know, kind of been involved in all those. And then, of course, working for Bill Russell. 
I worked with him as an assistant coach and has taken over as an interim head coach. And I just thought the world of him, just thought the world. Of him. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, Bill's coaching stint here wasn't the best, uh, you know, and I sure. just don't think at that stage of his career, he's that interested in it, to be honest, but uh, just a, a tr not just truly an all time great, but uh, you know, just a great man in my book, uh, you know, had, a lot of fun with him, you know, just the stories, his life. I, I could write five books on some of the stories Bill told me and some, some, a lot of them were X-rated, but they would have been, uh, pretty good. but they were pretty good. And uh, so it was great. And, uh, you know, and as far as uh, getting in for hall of fame as a coach, it, I think, it, you know, and rightly so it was, he was the first black head coach and, you know, obviously coach as a, uh, as Red Auerbach said, and I, you know, I remember talking to Red once, and he said, "Well, for good reason. I, I, I wanted to retire, and I said I knew the only person that Bill would listen to would be Bill. So there's nobody else who could, could coach him. So it's easy for me to make the decision uh, to make him as a player coach, and uh, which he did. And of course, Bill, uh, and like Bill said, he said, you know, I, he said I, I really Larry Siegfried really kind of was a player at that time, a reserve player, but he, he said he probably did more coaching than I did. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than trying to get myself ready to play, but, uh, but it's re but it was a remarkable thing on his part. And, uh, you know, just a, obviously an icon in the game as a winner in, in so many ways. And so, uh, you know, just getting to be associated with Russ was, uh, was a was a real thrill. I've, I've told you guys this story. One last story with Bill. I worked for him for a month before he ever spoke to me, and uh, <laughs> and and then we were down to working in camp. And uh, Willis Reed was the other assistant. And I was working with one group, and Willis the other. And and you know, we, and Bill, I remember come walking down there, and he put his arm around me. He said, "You know, Reynolds." He said, uh, "I think you're a pretty damn good coach." He said, "I think it's going to work out." I said, damn, that's a relief, Bill. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, from that point on, I mean, he, I think, you know, he, we just, every day he'd come in my office or I'd go in his and we just, just bullshit for, as you can tell, I know how to do that. And, and, and he was, and he was better at it than I was. And so, uh, so we, we had a great time. Tony, as a Bostonian, are there, is there a champagne in the street celebrating this uh, second hall of fame induction for, uh, for Bill Russell? You know, I, I can't say that I've seen like a lot of, of that, um, but I, I mean, he's beloved here, you know, as much as any Celtic. And I, I obviously haven't had the, the pleasure of speaking with him or meeting with him or anything, but anytime he's involved with anything, you can just, he's just seems like someone you want to be around. Like he's, you know, whether it's going back and forth with people, even, you know, I'm sure someone else manages his Twitter account, but he's unlike Jerry, he's on Twitter, making jokes, poking fun at people always has a story, some anecdote to say, uh, you know, whether it's, I think he went back and with LeBron on something a few months ago. Um, Bill Russell's just the best. I mean, again, having never met him before or knowing him before, he just seems like a, a really, really good dude. I'm sure Boston's happy for him um, as of course, you know, I am as well. And I don't know, you know, what else can you say about Bill Russell? He's just the best. So let's, uh, so let's get to, I have, I have a million stories about Yolanda Griffith and players thinking, because I lived up in Reading where we, we barely had internet when I was in high school, um, asking me at one point or another, are you related to Yolanda Griffith? And, and if, for anyone who doesn't know, I am, uh, I am as pale as a, as a piece of paper here. And, um, but I used to claim, yes, yes. She is a cousin of mine. 
And, and that's where I got all of my basketball <laughs> yeah. skills from. She, she comes over all the time and teaches me in my, my, mm-hmm. my front yard where uh, mm-hmm. my basketball court had gravel and the hoop was put up in the sixties. That's, that's my, so, so I, I congratulate my, uh, my cousin Yolanda Griffith on her, uh, on her induction. Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Truly a ferocious competitor. I mean, just absolutely ferocious, kind of a female Russ Westbrook almost. Uh, oh yeah. That's just, what, well, that's where I got it from, Jerry. Is, yeah, I knew uh, that. Is, I knew is, that. Is her beating me up in the front yard all the time. <laughs> and she so. would. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to our uh, our uh, Patreon question of the day. Tony, take it away. Sure. Um, every episode on this podcast, we ask one question from our our Kings Herald community, and um, if you submit a question, it doesn't get answered on the main show. Once a month, we do a, a full Q and A with Jerry, where we take all the questions you send in. So keep sending them in to me, to Will, on Patreon, on the website, anywhere, and we'll get them um, asked to Jerry. The question this week actually comes from one of our uh, our writers and our um, our great editor, longtime Kings Herald contributor, Greg Wissinger, who I thought asked a, a very good question this week that I definitely want to get Jerry's uh, take on. And we haven't really talked about this in this episode, but I think it's very relevant to what's going on. And he said, um, I'd like to ask Jerry um, how he evaluates end of season performances guys like lewis king who put up numbers at the very end of the season we've seen it before with guys like scalabus year so we know it doesn't guarantee future greatness but how do you evaluate those end of season flashes of skill for these sort of fringe nba players that's well, a great question and i'm not surprised from greg but uh, obviously really <laughs> thinks thinks out things very extremely well i fan of his but uh i think very carefully with what i'd say i mean you just really uh and so often it, it just is a, a kind of meaningless competition you know i mean you're playing against other second line guys guys aren't trying as much so, but having said that you're you, you can still look for for talent you know i mean just just for me personally i mean well you know, with Jones or with Kyle King, we've seen a little bit of you. You know, you say, "Well, have I seen enough to, to think he could be an NBA player going forward?" Well, I think the answer would be yes. And so you just go on that. Now, do you say, "Oh, his agent wants a, a, a three-year guaranteed, to five million a year contract?" And you say, "Well, good luck to you," and uh, move on down the road. We we won't go there yet. Uh, we we've got to see it against. Uh, when it means more but but yeah I, I think you just have to you know for yeah uh you know the scalabissiers uh, the dante greens the ray mccallums i mean the 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 it's endless uh, uh, uh was it malachi richardson's you know i mean people you know everybody falls in love with who they haven't seen i i i'd, I'd said that with honestly early on i, I might have been outspoken and about Woodward, I just I watched him in the G in the G League. I, I just wasn't that impressed. I I, I saw a, a well built, undersized power forward really, mm-hmm. and uh, that couldn't shoot threes. And so, in my mind, is you know where you go here. I mean, uh, sure. I mean, I think that's that that and that to Greg's point is something that uh, you know with the Kings they have a a bunch of NBA type players. And I think that with money, uh, you know, roster guys aren't your problem. Uh, just kind of decide on ones you kind of like or interested in. You know, I, I don't think anybody you let go is going to go off and be a 10 year all-star. Probably not need to worry about that. Uh, the guys you think fit in the best and like, 
you know, I always said I was talking to a friend, fan there day they couldn't understand. And like we talked about losing uh, Daquan Jeffries. And I think, you know, I know she's been waived again. Well, there's probably other things, you know, and sometimes it's that simple. It's not that, you know, he may be better than Kyle Guy or Jameis Ramsey. It probably is. But that doesn't mean you want him on your roster more than those guys. If, if in fact, you know, sometimes the, the guy that, you know, ain't, you know, if he's not playing, he better be a good guy. You know, <laughs> he, he better be a good guy and, 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 and fit in with his role. So uh, a long way around it. But, but I, I think to your question is just be just don't give too much credit. Uh, you're, you're looking to see if they've got you think NBA talent. And if they do, and, and will that NBA talent be worth take bringing forward uh, as a as a roster guy, or do you think he's got a little bit more than that? And then make your commitments on that. I, so, uh, you know, I think that's that'll be the tough thing for Monty though, because they've got so many six or eight guys in that category that you probably don't want to keep more than about five <laughs> going forward. And, and and so so we'll see see how that how it goes. I know. There's two or three that I probably would kind of eliminate early on, but that just, I look, I don't know near enough about it as, as, as uh, Monty and his staff does. Well, let's head on over now to, uh, to our final segment of the show. That's uh, as always our Reynolds wrap up, Jerry, what do you have for us? Well, I just want to basically at the end of the season and just say how much I've enjoyed doing this with you guys, Will and Tony, you guys are so well prepared, which is uh, depressing to me because I'm not that <laughs> prepared. And, and you know, and, and really how much I've enjoyed uh, really reading uh, the King's Herald. I, I really not just read about all the stories, but all the comments as well. And, uh, you know, how, how informed people are. It's really, really been a real neat deal. I mean, I'll continue to do that. But, I mean, it's, it's really been just such a blast and a highlight for me and and don't get me wrong i don't agree with everybody there's you know as about every story and and i've got some different views but uh you know i I, the one thing i know is that i really don't know and i've learned that and and i think that's uh, probably a lot of the younger fans will probably be able able to 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 find that out more as you go sometimes with the the things you're surest about you'll find out that you shouldn't have been so sure but uh (laughs) but uh anyway yeah that's it's been a blast and uh, like i say i i'm hopeful that uh you know this was a disappointing year to me uh to be honest with you and i for the first time in my life just i found myself i still love basketball and i found myself watching a lot of basketball, but not always the Kings as much. I watched the Kings, but I, I turned them off a few times, to be honest with you, to go to watch the Hawks or, or the Knicks or, or Suns or teams that I enjoyed uh, watching play more. And I'm hoping that next year, I guess my goal will be next season, I want to be able to make sure that I watch all 82 games, 48 minutes. But that's on them. That ain't on me. I don't have to anymore. Jerry, I'm in the same boat as you. I I wrote in my uh, season uh, finale preview, basically, that this is the first time that apathy really set in over certain things where it's just like having to write. I don't write every single preview because uh, Tony and Tim step in when I when I have life emergencies or whatever else like that. But having to write 65 previews a year on this team and spend hours researching or 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 spending hours writing thousands of fifteen hundred word previews is extremely difficult and and for just fans who watch the game it's hard and this was the first time that i felt like i I could probably just go turn the tv to something else i could go flip over to another channel so my hope as well jerry 
was that next year the the team brings me back and that is watchable and that uh, I because I love my team more than anything else in the world and I can't wait to uh, to celebrate them again in some capacity well, you know too and I I mean I I really uh, kind of impressed in a sense of how excited you know Mark and Doug and Kyle would get over things that absolutely didn't deserve any excitement at all i mean i, I don't i mean i'm not saying i didn't do it so but it's like come on guys these guys you know no no that's not that good but but bless, but, but bless their hearts i know they're kind of doing everything they can to create some uh, excitement and and uh and and it probably worked for a while for me but by the end of the year i i I, I was turning on them a little bit, you know, I was like, just <laughs> stop it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't have a Tony's rap, but it is the end of the season. And since Jerry was so nice to us, I do just want to say, you know, we started this podcast before the season started. We now made it a full, uh, you know, gra- granted a shortened season, but um, I know when, when Will and I were talking about, you know, starting this podcast, we were so excited that Jerry was, was willing to come on board with us and, and Will, you as the host, you know, jumping into a role you haven't, done before and doing a great job and, and continue to get better and, and directing traffic, especially through tough episodes, like the one with a sin where we got five guys on and we're trying to, you know, make it work with a celebrity type. We don't know too well. And that podcast turned out great. And, and um, so, well, I just want to thank you for hosting the show all year and doing a great job stepping into that. It's not something I would have wanted to do. So thank you for that. And Jerry, you know, you made this thing happen with us and it's, I don't want to speak for will, but I know I can in this regard, like it's been a, pleasure and a treat to be able to spend you know a couple hours with you every month talking about the kings i mean what a joy for someone who grew up uh watching the kings and watching you and grant on the on the broadcast over the you know 30 years of my lifetime so so thank you jerry and will and and for coming along uh the ride with me and and having this podcast you know we made it one year we'll see how many years we go beyond this year but for me anyways this is a great year um spending every other week with you guys talking about the kings (laughs) I, I, I'm very lucky in that being the host, I get the last word on this. And so I, 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 I do want to thank Tony and Jerry for everything that they've done this year. Um, me being a first time host, um, me stepping in uh, to a role in which I have to uh, go mano a mano every week with a guy who's done it every week in, in Tony Zip Terrace for a long time. And, and one of the, the greatest human beings and a true professional in Jerry, that was something that was always more exciting to me than daunting to me because of just exactly who Jerry is and just exactly who Tony is. And had I had any other combination of people up here, uh, I would have fallen flat on my face. I would have at one point or another, either uh, pissed Jerry off or I'd have, or I'd have, get to, or I'd have gotten somebody <laughs> else out of control. And, and it, it truly is an honor to be able to not only host the podcast with you guys, but to have the opportunity to talk to Kings fans, uh, to listen to Jerry's stories, to hear Tony's opinions on things. And I am a smarter person. Uh, I am a smarter writer. I am a smarter basketball uh, enjoyer because of uh, my ability to to listen to Jerry and to listen to Tony a couple hours um, uh, a month. And I, and I, I truly, 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 truly appreciate uh, you guys getting through the season with me. It's been a real treat. Well, let's just have a group hug. What do you think, guys? It's okay, group, group hug. <laughs> yeah. Over Zoom for now, yeah. And, and on, a, uh, on behalf of um, Tony and Jerry, I want to thank uh, every single listener out there, whether you're a Patreon supporter or just somebody who casually hate listens to us in the car on your drive home from work. Uh, we appreciate every single listen. Uh, we appreciate every single person who comments on our on our threads during the podcast, and uh, 
uh, I have to say that I look forward to this offseason and this next season because we have uh, a lot bigger things coming up. This is just the first season of the show, certainly not the last, but uh, uh, my hope is that this is also the smallest and that we uh, we grow and uh, I promise you things are going to get even better from here. So from all of us here at uh, the King's Herald, I'd like to thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. 